Hi everyone, welcome to Getting Naked with Happiness. I'm Stephen Liu and I have two very special people with me today. Jade Xia, who will be our co-host, and Rachel Lim, a survivor of dating violence, who you might have read about on the news, report titled, I thought I was going to die at the hands of my boyfriend. Today's episode is about finding out the secrets of resilience and post-traumatic growth. And so we're going to see how Rachel found the strength not only to overcome her abuse, but also how she forgave her abuser and lead a happy life today. Hello, Rachel, and hello, Jade. Hi. So Rachel um, was physically abused by her ex-boyfriend and resulting in facial fractures and bleeding in the brain. And Rachel, can you bring us back to the day of 27th of August 2017 and when you were 25 years old and being bashed out and held captive by your ex-boyfriend, do you recall how that day happened? Yeah, okay. So that night, I was out with him. It was, a, it was an okay night. We had dinner, went for karaoke after dinner. And after that, we went to a Thai disco for a short while. After that, we went to a, another bar. And then we drove home. And the whole time, it was fine. I felt like we were actually having a lot of fun. We were laughing throughout the whole night. Um, it was just generally a really, really fun night. Um, even right, we went back to his place and uh, even right now, right at his like, uh, door, uh, we were still laughing and playing. Um, it, it was like, we were just in good spirits. Um, after that, went back to his room. And it was like late already. Uh, um, my then boyfriend, uh, Clarence, he, he wanted to have sex. Like, and I didn't want to have sex. I think that started like everything. And he, got, he just got really, really angry. Um, and yeah, he started hitting me. So I think when I basically didn't want to have, continue having sex with him, um, he just got up and like he, he went to a table and I was like sitting there for a while and then he just like slammed his hand or, like on the table and then he started charging at me and he started like yelling at the top of his voice like, then who you want to have sex with? If, like, you know, if you don't want to have sex with me. And then he just started like raining punches in my face, just like keep hitting me on the face. And, uh, and that, that was when I realized I, I had to leave because this was not the first time it happened, like um, him hitting me. So uh, I just like tried to get up and uh, get, get my bag and uh, leave the place. Um, but I tried to open the door, and, uh, but he, he grabbed my hair and, and I fell back. Um, so he went to the door and, and I locked it. Then I went to my, my, my bag and I tried to take my phone out to call the police. He took my phone and he just like uh, fling it and, and he smashed the whole, the whole screen was smashed. Um, after that, like he just uh, continued hitting me, uh, strangled me, uh, hit my head against the wall. He was just hitting me nonstop for like hours, lah, basically hours. Yeah, and, and, and it, was, it was bad because like, it was a lot of like um, just raining blows on my face. Uh, strangulation then obviously I tried to cover my, my face and like um my, my hand here broke because like I was trying to shield myself from the blows so um my eye socket here broke um my face here all, all broke my, my nose broke yeah and, and of course like uh the bleeding in the brain because like he was like just like strangling me and like hitting my head against the wall the, the whole time so um by the time the police came um the police like somehow to actually break into the door because his father was outside uh, telling the police. Uh, at that point, I didn't know, but I, I later found out in court that the, my, his father told the police that I have like a 
a mental problem. So the police were actually standing outside and thinking like, um, they didn't know it was like a, a, a violent case. They thought like it was uh, some lady inside who had like a mental breakdown or something. So they, 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 didn't, they didn't realize like I was actually in danger. So they took their own time, um, which is not their fault, I guess. Um, they only realized it was something serious when they shouted at me and said like, do you need help? And, and I said, yes. Do you need an ambulance? I said, yes. Then I think only after that, they bashed through his door. Um, at a part of time, I was like already lying on the ground. Um, Clarence was like strangling me, and like um, he, he was he was strangling me on and off. So each time he was strangling me, like I could I could see him like his face was just like really angry and like just contorted with rage. Um, and then like uh, I, I could feel like my breath just like I I couldn't breathe anymore. And it it, it got to a point where like um, even the pain started to fade off, and I could see like my vision like slowly dimming. And I just thought, oh, okay, so this is how I'm going to die. I'm going to die at the hands of my boyfriend. Yeah. But of course, like, um, he, he would let go after a while. I, I think because um, outside, the police kept knocking. He was still doing this the whole time. Eventually, the, the police came in. Uh, and then they came in. I, I got up and I saw, like, the, the whole room, like, the state of the whole room. Like, there was, like, blood all over. It was like a murder scene. <laughs> there was, like, blood on the floor, all over, like, on the side of the walls. Um, yeah, there, there was just blood all over. Yeah. So that was what happened that night. Well, I mean, I cannot imagine, you know, going through that. Just hearing it, I, I feel, honestly, I feel like physical pain. Um, I just want to, like, maybe take us back a little bit. Like, because you said this is not the first time that this has happened. Right. So would um, parents always be like that? Maybe you can tell us a bit more about the first time that he was, he showed like violent tendencies with you? Um, the first time he showed violent tendencies with me, it was just like maybe roughly like a month into our relationship, which was like very, very soon. Um, we, we were having fun, like uh, in, in, in his room, like we were just like talking and uh, chatting about stuff and like we were laughing. And then suddenly he, he, he started yelling at me. So there was this like total flip, like he just switched like, like 180 degrees. And then like, he started like, screaming at me, right? At first, I, I, I didn't even realize what was going on. I thought like, like I thought like, is, is this a joke or, or what's happening? Because we were actually laughing, right? So um, he started being angry at me and he started like asking uh, me about like uh, my past relationships because he was like really jealous about like, um, I don't know, my, my, my past. And and then I realized, oh, he, he, he is really angry. Like, like this guy is, 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 is crazy. The, the thing is like, we. Each time he hit me, it was never about like um, we were quarreling halfway and then suddenly he got angry and then he, he lost his temper. It was always like, it was fine. Um, then suddenly he, he switched. So I would get very confused. Then, um, yeah, so suddenly he, he switched and then he started like, um, it's, it's, it's almost as if we were having fun and then suddenly a thought, like, would enter, a jealous thought would enter his head and then uh, he would just like go all out like crazy, like, like really raging. Yeah, so then after that, he, he hit me. Uh, he hit me like, it wasn't like a, a, a slap, like, like lightly or what. He threw like a, a full-blown punch like in my face. Like, um, like, like he's, a, he's a big man, right? Like he's, 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 and he just like used all his strength to just like punch my face. And obviously I was shocked. Um, I, I tried to get up and leave. When I tried to get up and leave, he, he like, pushed me against the wall and like just strangled me and like yeah 
um, that, that was how the first time started, yeah. And so, I mean, just, just help me to understand, like, so, how, you know, how did, why do you continue to see him after that? Like, were you, were you not scared or, um, how do you react after that? Wow, okay, so, um, after, after that first incident, obviously, he was uh, very apologetic. I was in shock. Uh, before him, I actually did have, like, uh, an ex-partner who actually slapped me before, like, when he was angry. And after that relationship, I actually told myself, if anyone ever, like, lay their hands on me, and, and that, that's it, like, I, I'll end it right there and then. Um, but Clarence, I felt like it was different because it was not as if, like, we were arguing halfway and he lost control of himself and, like, uh, he, he hit me. It, it was very sudden. So, I, I, because of that, I think, like, I excused his behavior. And obviously, he was very apologetic. He, you know, he looked at me with that sort of, like, really, like, sad puppy dog eyes and said things like, you know, I know what I've done is, like, a, it's not excusable. Uh, whatever words I say now uh, is, is pointless. But obviously, I, I hope that, like, you know, you give me another chance and, you know, we have it good. Which is true. I felt, I felt like um, during normal times, I thought it was okay. Um, so I thought this was, like, an isolated incident. And because he flipped so suddenly, right, um, I just thought, like, wow, this guy, you really have, like, a mental problem. And if you have a mental problem, maybe you should just go and see, like, a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And I thought, if you have the willingness to go and see, seek help, Maybe there's hope in a relationship. Yeah. So I, I held on to that hope. Well, so after it happened, uh, he apologized straight away. Did he flip back straight away or did some time pass? No. Um, so that very first time that he hit me, he helped me kept this in his room until like uh, at night, like 10 p.m. Like that, I, went, I went back. Uh, I went back home. Then he apologized like uh, the next day. Yeah. So after that, then it was like, okay. So when he hit you, um, during those moments, right? What were the what which sort of environment were you in, and were was he intoxicated? Uh, he he drank here. Yeah. Um, we were in his room. Um, I think it was also because like uh, he was intoxicated. I would I would think that okay, it's not you. It must be the alcohol. So that's not the real you. So I kept like giving like excuses to his behavior that like I refused to see that. Obviously, he had a responsibility for his behavior, and you can't you can't blame alcohol. Like so many people drink, and like they don't hit people. Like, <laughs> mm. okay. So those were the reasons that prevented you leaving that first time, right? Because even yeah. though you you said that previous in a previous relationship, you had uh, an ex partner who slapped you. You told yourself you will not be with anyone who will lay your hands on you. you. You gave kind of like these few excuses and you were like, okay, he was probably drunk and it was a bit like weird and out of character because you just flipped, yeah. right? Yeah. So so you went on, I guess. And uh, and then there was another time after that because I mean, I mean, the August one was really bad, right? And that was when you, honestly, Rachel, I think you could have been killed, right? So I think that was really bad. But between uh, the March and the August, were there any other incidents? Yeah, so, so there was another incident. I think there was a total of like uh, three major incidents. Um, the second one was because like the, the night before, I sort of like told him like I was done with the relationship. Uh, I, I really felt like um, I, I, I didn't want to go on anymore. So I just told him I was done. 
and throughout the night, like, uh, he just kept calling me, like, like, like over, like, 80 to 100 times, like, but I was sleeping, like, so I didn't look at my phone. Uh, I, I just felt very tired and jaded with the whole relationship. The next day, uh, I just went to work. So, as I was, like, going down my house, getting ready to uh, go to work, like, he was below at my house. Like, he was there, and it was, like, 8 a.m. So, he was, like, he was camping outside my house, like, waiting for me. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Then, like, you know, he dragged me by the hair into his car. Uh, I, I tried to, like, put up, like, a bit of, like, a struggle. But I, I just couldn't, like, like, like he was, he was really, very strong. And, and he threw me inside the, the, the seat and, like, he just, like, kept punching me. And kept, like, punching me. Um, yeah. The, the funny thing was, actually, there was, like, someone who was actually witnessing the whole thing. It was a, a guy. And I kept screaming at the guy. I kept screaming at the guy, like, call the police, call the police. <laughs> and the guy, I think... He was like, he just like stared the whole time and he didn't do anything. Um, oh. Yeah, and I, I was pressing the car, when I was in the car already, right, I was like pressing the car horn, like holding it for like a good, like solid 10 to 15 seconds each time I press the horn. And, and, and no one helped, which, is, which to me is very funny because like everyone in Singapore loves to take, whip out their phone camera to video things like all the time. But when, like, you know, when serious things actually happen and we need like help like, and people don't do anything. <laughs> I think people will probably paralyze and maybe there's a bit of a bystander effect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but okay, so that was bad. I mean, um, so I'm just going to re rewind a little bit and ask like, you wanted to end the relationship the night before, not because of any of this violent stuff? Uh, I think it was accumulation of like uh, the violent stuff, yes, and like uh, other things as well. Because like sometimes even though he's not violent, he can be uh, verbally and emotionally abusive. But then he would always like do it when when he, he drinks. So I always think like it's, it's alcohol. But even then, like I think I was getting very tired of it. Like I have never been like um abused like that by, by by anyone. So I think that was a point where I, I felt like I was I was done. Yeah. Can you share a bit about like um the verbal and um emotional or mental abuse that he would inflict? Oh, um so he always loved to call uh, me like very derogatory terms, like uh, a bitch or a slut or whore. Um, it, it's, it's very standard. It's like it's only like these few things that he'll he'll um, he'll, he'll say like over and over again. And this is after he drinks when you're arguing. Uh, not not only when we argue. Sometimes like uh, I think there was this one occasion where I was in office, and then like I didn't reply to his text. Uh, like maybe within like an hour, he got really angry and then he started calling me like, you know, you're, you're an office slut. You're just there to, you know, seduce like people and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he does things like that. Lah. Like he's just, a, he's very jealous and very controlling. And uh, he would like come by to my office and like stalk me as well. Um, at a point which I didn't know because like my, I, he couldn't find me, but um, my colleagues then uh, told me, told me after that, yeah. Okay, so that was like some of... So because of that, you wanted to end it. It was just done. And then, so the next day, he came to look for you and dragged you to the car and then he started punching you. And then what happened after that? Uh, so he... After that, he like sort of like dragged me to his place um, and he helped me captive there. And I think he helped me captive there for like a, a really, really, really long time. Like in his room for like... like uh, yeah... Um, so he started hitting me in his room because this was like in the morning when this started all, all the way in the morning. Um, and then I, I would tell him, okay, uh, 
like I, I need to I need to pee and then you go to the toilet. And then say no, like um you you pee here, like like I, I don't care. So he he refused to let me go 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 out of his room. Um yeah, then he would uh what, what he would do is like he he took like a bottle of like this big uh gallon of like apple juice, then with like aloe vera bits, and then like he just pour it all over me. And then uh he just turned the aircon on and like blast it really cold. And I told him like I'm I'm really cold, can I turn it off? Okay, then like uh, he allowed me to change out of like dry clothes. Then he'll do that the same thing all over again. Like he just like, pour the apple juice, um, over my 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 head again. Like um, it's just an attempt to humiliate me. Um, yeah, is you know when when he realized that like, I I can take punches or hits. Like obviously he he would want to find ways to humiliate me further lah. Like like he he gets a kick out of it. Yeah. You know it's interesting to hear that Rachel because I understand that Clarence. Um, is a medical doctor and medical doctors, they have a very high level of cognitive empathy. Okay, what I'm trying to say here is that there are three levels of empathy. The first level is cognitive empathy. Um, the second level is emotion empathy. And the third is compassionate empathy. So cognitive empathy means that having the ability to understand how a person feels and how they will react to a certain situation. So cognitive empathy um, is a part of communication so we can read each other better. So for a medical doctor, they are very skilled in cognitive empathy because they need to know whether their patients will feel pain if they assess them or whichever. But on the same note, interestingly, um, a psychopath or a torturer also have a very high form of cognitive empathy. They are very good in reading other people so that when they administer a certain torture or manipulation, they know that whether the patients or victims can take it or not. Yeah, especially their victims. So in this note, but they do not have emotional empathy. Does it make sense? So they, they know how the patient or victims feel, but they don't feel their pain. So in this yeah. case, it's, it's almost like he, he deliberately went to the, the cold aircon, apple juice torture, almost like Chinese torture because like, you know hitting her physically was just not getting the response that he wanted. Right. Yeah, exactly. When Clarence was strangling, I'm so sorry to bring this up again, it may be emotional, but I think that you're fine now, is that when he was strangling you in a room and before you pass out or lead to further damage, he actually released to make sure that you are still feeling the pain. I don't know. You know? Yeah, so when he was punching you, hitting you, he knows when you hit your brink before you collapse or you pass out. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and he only ever like targets the face and then like he would say like, oh, you think you're very pretty, is it? You're not pretty, law. So he, he, he just knows, like he doesn't hit any part of my body, he just hits my face because he knows that like, you know, maybe my, my looks is the, like damaging my looks is the thing that would like actually um, get to me. Yeah, mm. so he knows. It's very disturbing to hear that um, a medical doctor like Clarence, who's been trained to serve the public health, is actually using his knowledge in a way in terms of cognitive empathy. But of course, this is only him, right? Because he has some issues, big issues, and he's using it to cause pain. So I'm so happy. We are so happy for you that now the case is closed. Um, he has made his punishment and serving his sentence, and he cannot be a doctor anymore. I think that's great news. Uh, actually, he's still on the register uh, with like Singapore Medical Council. 
So his license is not revoked or even suspended. Uh, since like, I think I made the first complaint like three years ago. Mm. So yeah, so I, I, if you search, like his name is still on the register. So that means when he comes out, he technically has still set up like a private practice and be a doctor, a practicing doctor. So, yeah, so on, on the day that the sentencing was out, um, actually I called SMC immediately and um, SMC just told me that, uh, well, if it's like any assurance to you, you should just know that he wouldn't be practicing anytime soon. So, you know, hope, hope, like they're basically trying to like make me not be so worried that that he won't be practicing anytime soon. But, that, but I think they completely missed the point. Like Yeah, I mean, it's... Even if it's not anytime soon, he's young. He has many, many years to still practice. And as what Stefan said, it's very worrying because when you're a doctor, you're in a position where you're, honestly your patients are quite vulnerable or they are up to your diagnosis and kind of like in your care. And just to know that he can still practice is quite disturbing. Yeah, for someone who consistently violates the rights of like um, others, I, I think that his license should be revoked like completely. Yeah. No, I think on the ethical front, as being a um, health practitioner, they have to take an oath, right, to be ethical and not to cause any maleficence towards their uh, their patients. Of course, in this uh, instances, it's you as a in a relationship setting, but it's, it seems to suggest that he's not um, psychologically stable enough to hold that position because it's causing harm to other people, right? Yeah. And especially you say that not just you, but in your past, um, his past relationships, he has also been hurtful and abusive towards her, his ex-girlfriends. Yeah, I really hope that um, SMC can do something about this because this is not something to be taken lightly with. Yeah. Okay, so Rachel, you know, in spite of all this, knowing that you didn't want to get hit again, can you help us to understand why you chose to continue to stay in the relationship. Yeah, I ended up with him again. Because like, I think at the back of my head, I was thinking like, um, even though I know like what he's doing to me, it's really not right. Um, is there really a way out? Uh, it felt like if I were really to try to break up with him again, what's going to happen next? Um, so I thought I uh, just like, like, just float along all. Yeah. Because if you broke up with him again, then he, you were worried that he would react like that again. Um, yeah, and the thing is, like, he has, like, threatened before to kill me. Uh, and I feel like it's not just about my life. Sometimes, like, I feel like my family's life uh, might be in danger. So I really don't want him to come, like, in, in, to my house, like, one day and look for me and, like, I don't know, slaughter everyone. Because, like, he, 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 he has said, like, he's, he's going to drive, like, a, a knife through my heart before. Um, and then I, he, he said this over the phone. I, I would very calmly tell him, oh, but why do you want to kill me? And he say, oh, okay, I just want to kill you. Um, and say, then he say, okay, but if, if, like, uh, if you kill me, like, you know, you, you can't have a good life as well. And say, it doesn't matter. Um, I'll kill myself. And say, oh, but why do you want to kill yourself? Uh, like, what about your, what about your father, your, your family? And I say, oh, it's okay. They'll get insurance. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay, so at that point, um, he was, but he was apologetic the next day? Um, after, it's always like, after the second day, after he hits me, uh, the second day, uh, he's apologetic. Um, I, I, 
to, to me, I, I somehow I still felt that like if a person is willing to seek treatment, um, that might be help. So at a, at that part of time, he still wasn't going to his psychologist. Like um, he was delaying it. Uh, and I I basically sort of like gave him an ultimatum. Like if you don't seek help, I don't see like uh any hope in a relationship. Yeah. So that was when after the second time he went back to his uh, psychologist or psychiatrist um, and like sought help. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and then after that, of course, the last incident happened where the police were involved. Do you think you would have gotten out had the police not been involved and had it not got to the point where honestly you could have died? Um, I, th I think actually that's a really hard question to answer. Because obviously he almost killed me, right? Like, um, yet at a point of time, like like when I was in a hospital bed, I was still thinking to myself, if he apologized and shows remorse, maybe there's still a hope in the relationship. <laughs> so, so I think that's a really hard question to answer. Yeah. Uh, I just want to ask you mentioned that we were in a relationship prior and your ex-boyfriend slapped you and you told yourself that you will not be in a similar situation again. So when you met this guy and dated him for a few months, when he exhibited the first few signs of violence, what, what were you thinking? Didn't you go back and thought about the earlier event? What kept you on? Um, I, I think for, for Clarence, back then I really thought that uh, the relationship was very different. And it, it, it is actually... A very different relationship. Uh, I mean, apart from like him being violent, like I just felt a lot of like a uh, chemistry with him that I felt with like no one else before. Um, the bond between us, I thought, uh, it was really really strong. Um, I was very attracted to him, and I just felt like this chemistry that I felt with like no one else before. So obviously, in my mind, I thought like, oh wow, he is my soulmate. Um, if it's not him, then who is it gonna be? Cause like no one is ever gonna be like that. Um, yeah, and if, even him in, in court, as the news has reported, he also said that like when, when things were okay, he was extremely happy. So it was like on, on both ends, I guess, like we really thought that like um, we, were, we were happy with each other very much. Yeah. Was the chemistry also a byproduct of the trauma that you went through? Mm. I, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think one of us one of the reasons uh, that bonded us, I guess, I felt that um, I understood his pain and he understood my pain. Um, I felt like I, I could not date like so-called like a normal guy who doesn't understand like the, the depths of like my pain. Um, yeah, so, so I, I guess so. <laughs> no, it seems to suggest that um, there are many different forms of relationships, right? And there's one form of relationship is called therapeutic relationship, meaning that two of them, they have big issues in their lives that need to be resolved and they attract each other and they bring out the worst of each other. I'm not saying that it's supposed to be that way, but they, also, they bond with each other in a very intimate, they always report that they have deep chemistry. But at the very same vein, it's because that um, when they are very high and very low, they also bounded in the language of trauma. Yeah, but of course, um, what you went through was really excruciating. I think I want to just um, move to see 
you know, just to help other people who may be going through the same situation. I think no one, no person actually wants to get hit, right? But so many people, there's a lot of uh, misconception that, that uh, people who are victims of abuse are very weak or very uh, just not capable people. Right. I think that that is really, really a misconception. But there may be many others who may be feeling as trapped as you are in a current relationship cycle where maybe they're in the good part now and they're like, yeah, this person's really not very good, but I'm still here. So I want to know, like, what the final time you said that if he had probably apologized and was really, seemed really remorseful about it, you would still perhaps have taken him back. What made you stop? Was it just that he didn't try to come back? Um... He didn't, he didn't try to come back. Yes, that's, I think that's one of the reasons. Um, and slowly, like, uh, that, that enforced like, a time period apart made me see clearly for, for who he is. La. And I think also like, uh, a friend was, was beside me and like, he kept questioning, like, um, why is it that like, I think that he, he is the one. As then as I thought and thought, like, um, well, actually, what good things did he really do for me? Because I feel like if I were really to sit down and think of like um, nice, caring things that he had done for me, right? I feel like there's actually none. Like he's just someone that like, uh, it's nice to like, you know, uh, we, we play around, like we play around like kids. Uh, I think that that's all, but he's not capable of being uh, really nice and caring. And I think that's when I realized like, oh, he, he actually hasn't done anything <laughs> really nice and caring. It's kind of like what Stefan said about that perhaps there was that chemistry so-called and that connection that you guys connected on a certain level, perhaps by a shared trauma or, or something that both of you have gone through. Yeah. Um, Stefan, just want to know like from an expert point of view, right, for others who may be going through this then, in order to get out, what is the first step? Because I, I'm just taking on the fact that Rachel said that, uh, that sort of, okay, firstly, he didn't try to come back. But that's not something that we would have control over. But the second point is, you said there was an enforced period of separation. And during this time, it was um, during this time that you managed to think it through and think like, okay, maybe this is really not right for you. So Stefan, like, yeah, from an expert point of view, would you recommend this to someone who's going through something like this, like an enforced period of separation? Uh, yes, definitely. I, well, I mean, first and foremost, I think, in all types of abuse, because for Rachel's case, it's a bit special. It was a series of abuse from not just um, psychological, but also physical. Yeah. Um, but in many types of abuse, it may not result to physical abuse. It could be also psychological. So um, it could be from intimidation, control, and uh, different sorts of manipulation. So to that, I guess the first part would be having the awareness to review their relationship from a um, non-biased way. But of course, sometimes when they are so involved in the relationship, they may be blinded, you know, wanting the best, thinking that the guy or the other person will change. So I think the first part is uh, what you said, Jade, is having a break. A mental break is really important, not just a time break, because of course the time will allow the person to ask reflective questions, and then also take the opportunity to ask themselves that, is this what they really want? Uh, maybe a good question would be, is this person, do I want to have children with this person, this partner? Is this the quality of a partner that I want to raise my children up with? Or 
uh, you can ask a close friend, maybe who doesn't know the other party, and share the behavior patterns. And I think the close friend would be able to share insights and go to help the person to realize this. I think these are the few indicators that should go through or they can go through first. Rachel, you mentioned that during this enforced period of separation, you talked to a friend. Prior to that, in the other incidents, did you, did you mention it to anyone? Did you talk about the abuse? Um, yeah, I, I think it's, like, it's, a, it's a really tricky thing, like uh, talking about this with like, uh, loved ones. Because obviously, we know that what, what, what we are going through is um, not right, but we give excuses like, because we are actually protecting, protecting our abuser. Because like, we love our abuser, we, we want to be with him. Um, I did share it with like, uh, friends, and I, I, I think for some friends, they, they were very angry, and they, were, they straight out said, like, you know, like, you shouldn't be with, with someone like that. And I think immediately, I, I felt very offended. I was thinking, like, if you are really my friend, you understand why I would want to be with him. So I just, yeah. So, so I thought, like, then next time I just shouldn't share anything with you, because, like, like, you clearly don't understand what. So I, I think it's, it's a really tricky thing, yeah. Yeah, there's, because, a lot of just, there's a lot of justification for yeah. the abuser. What would be a better way for a friend to respond? Mm, I felt like I, I felt like okay for, for those friends that like continue to share things with, um they to, to me they were very non-judgmental because maybe like they know me well enough to know that if they were to say anything, like I wouldn't respond well. So I think they just listen, but I think listening sometimes is, is not enough. So I feel like as friends and uh, you know, someone you love is going through this. Yes, listen, uh, be non-judgmental. Maybe you have to let like um, your friend know that uh, whatever decision you make, uh, that whatever decision your friend makes, like you, you'll stay um, by your friend's side. And I think the best way is actually to just ask questions. Like, like I think like what Stefan said, um, because the person going through the violence have to come up with like dancers themselves. It shouldn't come from like an external like uh like party. Yeah, just just ask the right questions. Yeah, maybe things like do you, do you really think that um you would find no one else better? <laughs> you really think that you will not be attracted to anyone? You, I don't know. Yeah, just asking the right questions. Yeah. Sometimes it's also very difficult, right? When a close friend at a side is seeing their friends suffer yeah. and there's a part of perfectionism that they want to step forward and help their friend. Yes. Yeah. And especially if the person is in a long-term abusive relationship. Yeah. 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 I, I ask for myself as well, on the point of view of, of a friend who has uh, listened to another friend share a story like that. Like, I think we all would like to know how to better respond. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned that you, when you were with Clarence, you felt like you guys had a connection that you hadn't found with someone else. And of course, on top of that, you were very attracted to him and all of that. Uh, could you share with us maybe some of the sort of stories or the narratives you were telling yourself when you were in that relationship with him? Um... I thought like he was really my, my soulmate because uh, I think maybe because before that my previous relationships were just very like I don't know if like mediocre is the word to, to say it but like yeah with, with Clarence like 
he, he was intelligent. And so I think for the first time in my life, I felt like I did not have to simplify myself to, for, for my partner to understand. So I, I could just like be, be who I am. I, I don't have to simply my, simplify uh, the way like I think or my, my, my speech or my language like to him because like Clarence obviously understood all of that. Um, he could engage on like my level. Um, I think previously when my previous relationship, it was always like, uh, I, I felt like my, my partners have to catch up with me because they weren't reading the things that I was reading. Um, with Clarence, it was not, I felt like we had, we had also like an intellectual chemistry. Um, if he doesn't know the things that I'm talking about, like he would actually make an effort to read up about it. And I, I thought that was like, uh, that, that was great. So that at least we, we have something in common, we can discuss things. Um, yeah. And I think also other than that, like I think we were just both very playful. Um, and I think it was like a quality that I cherish very much. So obviously I thought like, like he's my soulmate lah. Yeah, I thought like there could be no one else like like him because, <laughs> because my previous relationships were, it was just very different in quality. Like, um, yeah, with Clarence, I was, I was fully myself. Yeah, I, I did not have to hide like uh, any part of myself. I was just like completely the way I am. Yeah. Stefan, what would you say to someone who is maybe in a relationship now, currently, uh, where they maybe feel a bit stuck or they share similar thoughts to Rachel? Like, I said, no one ever wants to get hit, okay? Or even to be abused uh, emotionally or mentally. But sometimes we feel like we have to stay because we may never have this sort of connection with anyone else. This person could be our soulmate. How would you you know, from a psychological point of view, try to change that narrative? Can we change our own narrative? Um, okay, I think this is really quite tricky because if a person believes that, like, their abusive partner is their soulmate, um, it's really, like, a very deep-set belief. Um, I think what I would actually say to them is that, um, that there are really other people out there uh, who you would be more attracted to, but... Obviously, you won't know because you just like cling, cling to this person who's like not good for you, lah. Yeah, there would be other people, people who like understand you also. Um, and the thing is, like, if you think that your abuser uh, truly understands you, why why would he hit you? It, it doesn't make sense, what? Like, if your abuser really understands you, can resonate with you, your abuser wouldn't hit you. Your abuser would be kind towards you. <laughs> yeah, and I think. If you, if you think that you can change your abuser like through kindness or like patience or I don't know, just like hoping for the best, then why does he hit you again? It, it, it won't happen again. Right? So changing someone is not within your capacity. Um, even if like you're in a helping profession or you're a very kind person, it, it's, not, it, it's not within your capacity, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, when people in love, they think it's magic. And they have all the high moments, right? And so when they all have all the high moments, they are pumped with all the happy hormones and chemicals. And they think that they are, this is the relationship, this will be the partner. And yeah. so even though the whole relationship, it could be one minute of happiness, but 59 minutes of pain, sometimes they will still look at one minute of happiness. So they're willing to tolerate. If a couple is in a long-term abusive relationship, 
they may justify because they have invested so much time, resources, and efforts in this person to make it work. And sometimes they are attached to their narratives that maybe I can't find a better person out there because this is the best person I can ever get. And they go into this self-imprisonment that maybe I am not as good because the other person wear them down and think that they are not as good. So their self-esteem has been affected and therefore their narratives may also affect their perception. So the, big, the biggest thing I would say would be, number one, is to promote boundaries first, to take some time out and start to put in small little steps of, hey, I need my me time, my personal space, so that when this happens, they can start thinking and do more self-reflection. And then also go online and look for resources. I think there are a lot of groups that you can, you can connect with, like communities or support group. Of course, I would highly recommend to see a therapist or counsellor. End of the day, seeing a professional will give you a very level-headed or neutral stance. Sometimes we see friends or family members, they don't really understand the whole picture or they have their own personal issues and they could be quite opinionated but may not necessarily help you, right? So I guess that these two things would be great. Uh, spend some time, create your own boundaries, some time to yourself and me time, and invest into resources that will give you access to more neutral advices or opinions like seeing a therapist or go online. Yeah, these are the these things that I would recommend. And if I could just add one more point is, when a person is stuck in a relationship like this, they go through this thing called a trauma continuum meaning to say that any traumatic events, right, make them glued to the trauma, trauma. It's just like watching a drama series that there's a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And it's just like there's rain, rainbow after the rain, rainy storm, right? They, they like that cycle. And they do not know that they are in that cycle. Yeah, and therefore the abusers, sorry, the victim will always justify that this is okay, that someone, somebody who he or she will change. So the point the is point we still is have to get ourselves, get ourselves out, out of that cycle. cycle yeah. yeah. Uh, Rachel, what do you do to stay resilient? Or you know what helped you really heal from that whole episode? It's been really, really very traumatic and thanks for sharing it with us in such detail too. Uh, I think it was actually quite hard because um, I think after, after the final incident and I sort of like uh, was no longer with Clarence, I think I was like a bit depressed uh, for, for a while. Mm. It, 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 it was hard. Okay, okay, obviously, like, I have, like, um, supportive, like, uh, friends, uh, family. Even my company back then, uh, I had, like, uh, very close co-workers. So, I think that helped. But even still, I was um, very depressed. Uh, not, not only because, like, I was being injured physically. I think I felt like my whole reality had shattered because... Um, like the one that I thought like was my soulmate is actually someone who actually doesn't care for me or doesn't love me. So that reality was actually very uh it, it was it was too much for me to bear. So I was depressed for for a bit. Um, I actually did think of like just like ending my life. So it, it was quite bad for a while. Um, I just I think what what gave me hope was like, I'll just tell myself, uh, okay, just like, uh, go through another day, hang on, hang on there for another day. So I just hang on for like one day, two day, three day, uh, over time, like, I think 
it just gets better. Like if you keep like giving yourself like a hope for another day. So you just like with time, you just realize that actually um, life is not that bad. Lah. It's just that like, you're just with an asshole. Lah. That's why life is bad. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I personally do find, do find this, uh, you know, it's very, you know, very cliche, cliche, right? Because people will say, in fact, actually, a lot of people, people, people like my grandmother used to say, like, just take it one day at a time. But it really, but it really does, does help. help. I mean, like, I, I would say, like, I've not, I've not uh, been in the same, in the same situation, situation as you, but, like, but, like going, going through a bad situation, situation even, like, uh, grieving or going through, like, a breakup, right? It really does help to take it one day at a time. Like, you just get through this day and try to get through it as best you can. Right. Then the day and becomes a week, and the week, and the week becomes, becomes a month, month. And, then and then it becomes, becomes a, year. a year. And, and uh, I, 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 I think that, that really does, does uh, help, even though, even though it sounds like cliche to say, to say to just get through the day. Yeah. How would you, How would you advise, advise uh, someone, someone who is also stuck, also stuck in an abusive relationship? relationship. Mm. I think I would just like... Uh, advise them to really think for themselves. Um, they, they, I think everyone on a certain level know that like they don't deserve abuse, but because of like the attraction towards like the abuser, um, they would excuse the behavior. Um, I, I just hope that they would know for, for themselves that there can be better options out there and uh, other, maybe other people that would actually get them just as well, people that they would just be attracted uh, to, um, but they need to give themselves like the opportunity to to see for themselves that there can be such people out there, yeah, and and also um, enforcing trying to enforce like boundaries, which is difficult because in the first place, if we are with abuser, we clearly lack a like boundaries, yeah, we, we don't know how to um, have boundaries, yeah. So I, I, I really don't know, I feel like, um, because even for me at, at a part of time, like I was also seeing a, like a psychologist, uh, but I think I was like so stubborn, like, like nothing, nothing anyone say could like have like <laughs> helped me. <laughs> um, I, I think what would maybe have like uh, helped me at a part of time was that like, knowing that my situation uh, was not unique because I thought my situation was very, very unique. I thought it was just like me going through such things. Um, I, I didn't know it was like a totally, uh, it, it, yeah, it, I didn't know it was like a totally not unique situation. Like, you know, in my head, uh, like in the past, I always thought that like when I read like stories of like uh, people getting abused, th this was before like uh, my, my own incident, I always thought like, these women are like ridiculous. Like, why would they stay in a relationship if someone like hits them? I always thought like, they are not very smart lah. They are like just very, <laughs> not <laughs> like, yeah, I thought like maybe they would want to be with the guy for, for money or they're just like people who are just not very capable. And I, I, I didn't have like, empathy for like these women because I just thought like it was like ridiculous. Like, I couldn't see, I couldn't envision myself like being with like uh, a guy who like, just like beats the, the, the hell out of me and then it happened to me <laughs> yeah then um after that I went to a a group counseling at a PAVE Singapore and I initially I still didn't want to go but a social worker like kept calling me 
then I attended like the second from the second session four. Before that, I I was also thinking like I just didn't want to go down to a group with like other women who let like their boyfriend beat them because like they surely must be not very smart and not very capable. And I just felt like I am not like that. But when I went down, I realized oh that's not the case. Like these women like yeah. They are smart, they are capable, they are pretty, they, they earn their own money. There was one, uh, one of the victims was a doctor, the other was a lawyer. So it could happen to like anyone. Yeah, so I guess like to victims going through this, like know that you're not alone. Yeah, and like educate yourself. Yeah. You know, there are many thoughts about being in an abusive relationship. They tend to choose a path of convenience right because I've been with this person for so such a long period of time and I know this person inside out and this person know me inside out must as well I could just do something either I change myself or I can try to change the person but in actual fact there are only three possibilities right number one changing oneself or changing the other person or changing the situation and why I'm saying this is because um, I, when I work with my clients who are in abusive relationships many of the time they come forward because they want to improve the relationships and of course, the other partner will not come for therapy, but they will just um, uh, see a therapist on their own. And through the event, then we found out that they are in an abusive relationship. And so by seeing a therapist uh, or a psychologist or counselor, you will help to gain more clarity and more resources. You know, Even though it may not help you exactly at the point of time, but when you go to a certain situation that you need to move off, you have these resources to rebuild yourself. And that is really important. And I, so what is the biggest difference between Rachel today and the Rachel before the event? Wow. So I think me now, I, I feel like a, I have like a much lower tolerance for nonsense. <laughs> I feel like it's very easy for me to walk away from like um, people who don't serve me well anymore. Uh, not 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 to say like uh you need to treat me like very well or, or or what but like I just feel like my boundaries are much better. Like for example, maybe if I see friends who are clearly disrespectful, like it's just very easy for me to walk away from their friendship. Um, rather than just like stay stay in friendship because like um it's, their company is familiar or or what. Um, I also think that um. Like in the past, I always thought that like everyone is uh everyone has a capacity to become better. Everyone has like a every single person on earth, um, their nature is goodness and kindness. But um, I'm a little more cynical now, or maybe I wouldn't say cynical, but more realistic now. It's really not the case. Some people are just not really good and kind, and uh, it's it might be like a hard truth for like idealists to accept this because idealists all want to believe that everyone is a uh, kind good natured everyone has like a good heart but maybe through like uh events in life uh, these people become a bit like uh like hardened or or not very nice but the, the truth is like some people are really just not very nice and and that is their nature and when people show you their true colors for the first time you you got to believe it you should stop trying to like um, give your own narrative of what you think that person is, but let the person's actions like show you who they really are. Yeah. And 
if you have become more cynical, right, does it mean that your level of happiness has been affected or optimism has been affected? I actually don't think so because it's, I feel like I'm just able to see things more clearly for what it is. And when I accept like reality on reality's terms, like it's just very easy for me to uh, walk, walk away. And I just feel like um, maybe like, this situation or this social setting is just not really good for me or this person is not really good for me. And, and it's, it's fine for me. Like, I just like, accept it. And I, I know that there are better things in store for me if I could just like, know what I really deserve. Mm. Yeah. Well, in an act of, of course, forgiveness and healing, I'd like to ask this question. If Clarence is here today, what will you say to him? Honestly, I don't think I've got really anything to say to him. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, there, there's really not much to, to say to him because like, actually most of the time, like, I don't really think about him anymore. Uh, I think about people who are still going through like uh, situations that have been before. I, I focus my energy and attention on that. Um, I think about how we, the things that we can do as a community to help uh, people to raise awareness. Um, and I think why I'm able to like forgive like uh, someone who has like totally like uh, like abused me so badly, I, I just knowing him, I just feel like such a person it's hard for such a person to be happy because um, he is not just like that towards me, like he's like that to to, to a lot of other people also. Um, he's a very entitled person. Uh, and he never takes like a, a step blame for his actions. He always blames others. So knowing such a person, like they will, they will always be unhappy. And I feel like actually that's like enough punishment for his lifetime because like you always blame someone else, blame the family, blame society, everyone except, except for themselves. And so such a person, like I feel like deserve our <laughs> pity actually. <laughs> yeah. So Rachel, the title of this podcast is Getting Naked with Happiness and you have so-called getting naked emotionally, so to speak, and about your journey and current state. So the next question to you would be, are you happy today despite everything you have experienced? Yeah, strangely, I feel like I have been the happiest I've ever been in my entire life. Um, I just see that like, Okay, in some very like twisted way, I, I saw that what happened to me is actually uh, a very big lesson to wake me up. And so I'm grateful for what has happened um, because if that did not happen, I might still be stuck in a lot of my uh, like faulty thinking processes. So I, I, I think I'm very happy. Um, and because like after the incident, I, I learned how to have boundaries. Um, I learned to see people a bit clearer for who they are. So I think the partner that I'm with now is uh, someone who's like really, really good for me also. Yeah, I, I learned to be able to like uh, discern good qualities in a person. Yeah. And yeah, I actually think I'm really happy right now. <laughs> Th thank you, Rachel, for being so brave and to come out to share your story because uh, we know that you have went through a lot, especially not during the event, even after the event. And we are so very happy for you that the case has come to a closure. And I hope that moving forward, your life will become even more positive than before. 
And so those who are listening, you have been listening to Getting Naked with Happiness. Uh, I'm Stephen Liu and my co-host Jade Xia. Um, and of course, we have our guest, Rachel Lee. And we have us, if you have any questions for us, please leave us a note uh, or comments or question on Getting Naked with Happiness. And I look forward uh, to hear your questions if you have. So thank you, Rachel, for being here today. And, um, and thank you, Jade. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Stefan.